Our scripture lesson is found in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. I'm reading from the Living Bible. I advise you to obey, beginning at verse 16, I advise you to obey only the Holy Spirit's instructions. He will tell you where to go and what to do. And then you won't always be doing the wrong things your evil nature wants you to do. For we naturally love to do evil things that are just the opposite from the things that the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And the good things we want to do when the Spirit has his way with us are just the opposite of our natural desires. These two forces within us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from their own pressures. But when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasures, idolatry, spiritism, that is encouraging the activity of demons, hatred, fighting, jealousy, anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticism, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. And there will be wrong doctrines, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild parties, all that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, as I have told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Then we won't need to look for honors and popularity which lead to jealousy and hard feelings. Dear brothers, if a Christian is overtaken by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help him back onto the right path, remembering that next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong share each other's troubles and problems, and so obey our Lord's command. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Now then, today is Pentecost. Ten days after Jesus ascended to heaven, a great thing happened in the city of Jerusalem. It happened on the festival of Pentecost. Uh, Penta, of course, has to do with 50 days after the Passover. This was a great festival in which there was celebration given regarding the giving of the law of God, and Jews from every place assembled in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. On this occasion, the disciples of the Lord Jesus had been met together in an upper room praying and waiting for a visitation from God, a promise that had been made long years before in the book of Joel, that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And there on that day of Pentecost in that upper room, the spirit of God came. And those earliest followers of Jesus flooded out into the street, impelled by the Holy Spirit, and there was a great visitation of God so that all of the people marveled at what was taking place.
They heard the word of God preached in their own tongue. They saw manifestations of the Spirit in supernatural power. And people were being converted. And there the church began to move. We see great things take place in this springtime of the church as this great energy begins to surge through it. The energy is the power and the presence of a person, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And he moves in these earliest Christians. And watch what begins to take place. Well, first of all, we see a person who had cowered and had betrayed his Lord, whose name was Peter, become bold and fearless for Jesus Christ. He preaches a sermon under such unction and power that 3,000 people are converted in one day and are baptized. And so there is a great moving of the Spirit of God when Peter and John were commanded that they were no longer to preach or to teach in the name of Jesus. They just taught and preached in the name of Jesus that much more. There was a poor cripple who had sat at the gate of the temple. He looked at Peter, and Peter looked at him, and Peter healed that man in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that the power of God was so much upon Peter that when his shadow fell across someone who was sick, that they were healed by his shadow. What a power God brought to bear in the early church through these people. Now then, as you begin to study the book of Acts, you watch prophecy being fulfilled, you watch minds and hearts and lives change, and then you see the devil move in in great opposition, and persecution comes upon these earliest followers of Christ. And what is their attitude toward the persecution? Bitterness and criticism and complaint? No, we are told that they rejoiced, that they were counted worthy of suffering in the name of Jesus. Oh, how often I look upon this passage of Scripture and pray that the Holy Spirit will work in me, that instead of wanting to get back at my enemy, I will want to love them, that I will want the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in their, wives, in, in their lives. I almost said wives <laughs> because he has worked in my wife. I was, <laughs> I was thinking this morning about how gracious she's always been down through the years. The Bible says if your enemy hungers, feed him. And every time my enemies jump on me, my wife makes them a cake. I want to throw it at them and she wants to feed them. <laughs> but she has been all of this and much more. Well, the Holy Spirit works in this way in the life and heart of people. He creates this fruit of love. Well, he created the fruit of love in these earliest Christians, even toward their enemies, those who persecuted them, who beat them, who imprisoned them because of their love for Jesus Christ and their testimony to him. Then we watch the Holy Spirit. We see him as he directs the people to share each other's problems, to bear each other's burdens. And when persecution arose, and it was necessary for the earliest Christians to divide their resources amongst each other and to care for each other, they held things in common. And each, according to his need, received a portion there needed to be selected men who would supervise this distribution of, of financial assistance and help to those who were in need. And so deacons were appointed. And we are told that they were asked not to choose their own candidate for deacon, but to look out among you men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That means yielded to the Holy Spirit. Surrendered to His guidance, His impulse, His direction. My, what a difference there would be in the church today if all across the General Assembly, from top to bottom, we really sought people who were filled with the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit. What a difference it would make if we quit talking about it and started living it. Well, then we look into the book of Acts some more and we see that amongst these first deacons there is a man by the name of Stephen. When he was persecuted, he gave a glowing testimony to Jesus, so much so that his enemies could not stand it. And they took up stones in their fury because the truth hurt them so much and they stoned Stephen to death. And he died praying that God would forgive his enemies. And we are told in the book of Acts that Stephen looked up to heaven and that he saw Jesus. I've often thought that what the old Puritan commentaries say is true, that when Jesus looked upon this dying martyr, this man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus rose from his throne to receive this man's spirit who came to him, Stephen. No wonder Saul of Tarsus, one of the persecutors of the church, could never get that scene out of his mind's eye. He could never escape it nor avoid it and haunted him and followed him as he went on his journey seeking to destroy the church. Then we're told about another man whose name is Philip, who is also a deacon. Philip, possessed by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit, is an evangelist who preaches and teaches in great authority and power. And a strange thing happens right in the midst of a big crusade in which many people are being converted in Samaria. And by the way, that in itself is a miracle because the Samaritans were hated by Jews. And here God just goes right across racial barriers as the Holy Spirit works in this man Philip in Samaria. But right in the midst of a big sweeping revival, God takes this man Philip who is obedient to the Holy Spirit out of the crowds and sends him out on the road, out in the desert, alone. And out there in the shimmering heat waves, this man who walks alone and must be wondering why it is that God's Holy Spirit had directed him to go from that crowd out into this desert place, sees in the distance an entourage of some notable person coming. There are outriders, there are footmen, and there is a carriage. And when the carriage draws near, this man Philip can scarce believe his ears because he hears a man reading from the prophet Isaiah. He is reading those words, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. He reads them aloud. And Philip's heart beats wildly with excitement. And he goes and joins himself to the chariot of this black man. And he integrates that chariot right there. He climbs up into the chariot at the behest of this man. He said to him, do you know what you're reading? And he said, no, how can I except someone should explain it to me? And beginning at that place, Philip preached unto him Jesus. 
and taught him how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was prophesied regarding the suffering servant of God, the Messiah, here. That man that day confessed Jesus Christ as the Son of God and was baptized. And just as suddenly the Holy Spirit directs Philip in another direction, and so he goes to another place. And then we read about this man, Saul, that we mentioned a moment ago, going to far-off cities to persecute those who confess the name of Jesus. Do you know what happened to him on the road to Damascus? Jesus caught some fish here. Here was this man breathing out vengeance on the church of God. And he is converted dramatically on the road to Damascus. And not only that, but as he goes into the city of Damascus, another miracle has to be performed by the Holy Spirit because there is a man by the name of Ananias who is praying. And God reveals to him that Saul of Tarsus has been converted and that he is coming that way and that Ananias is to receive him. And Ananias remonstrates with God and he says, No, Lord, this is the man who has wrought havoc with your church. And the Lord says he is a chosen vessel that I am going to use to send my gospel everywhere. And then amongst the most beautiful words that you'll ever read in Holy Scripture, words that I wish my lips could speak more often. You see the Holy Spirit come upon Ananias, and when Saul, the enemy of the church of Jesus, comes into his presence, what does he say to him? The first words that he says are, Brother Saul, the Lord has revealed to me what has happened to you. My, what a work of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Well, as this man begins his remarkable ministry, another man filled with the Holy Spirit by the name of Barnabas, a good man who stands in back of Saul of Tarsus and assists him. And then you see Paul as he begins his great missionary journeys, his famous missionary journeys. He goes to a region called Galatia, and there amongst an impetuous, hot-headed people, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and a church is formed. Later he goes on his way and then he hears that dissension has sprung up in the church and it necessitates him writing, writing a letter back to correct certain things that have gone wrong. And the letter that he writes to the church in Galatia is a letter written to the Christians in Montreat. The letter is very up to date. A letter that the whole church needs to read. A letter that talks to them about the great liberty. We're all seeking liberty and freedom now. And Paul here speaks to these Galatians about the liberty and the freedom that is theirs in Jesus Christ. And there were some immediately who say, oh, well, if Jesus has died to take all my sins away, then that means I can do anything I want to because he paid the price. And Paul says, no, the liberty that Christ gives is not a liberty that leads to sin, but a liberty that leads away from it. And that liberty comes from the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 16, the words that I read to you a moment ago, he says to these Galatians and to these Montreaters, I advise you to obey the Holy Spirit's instruction. He will tell you where to go and what to do, and then you won't always be doing the wrong things your evil nature wants you to do. Every Christian is a living civil war. There are two natures that work within him. The old sin nature, to pull him into sin. And Paul catalogs all of the sins there. 
He lists 15 of them and says that there are more beyond that. And when he tells us about these gross sins, he means for us to avoid them. He is telling us that we as believers who belong to Jesus Christ are to avoid like the plague, that which indicates a baptism of the flesh. And by flesh, he does not mean skin and meat. But by flesh, he means a nature that indulges itself after evil things. Here is a list. Sexual immorality, impurity of mind, and sensuality. The first three listed are sex sins. Did the church of Jesus ever need to hear a word about that any more than it does today? CBS has now requested the Federal Communications Commission to allow X and R-rated movies shown on television. Any little three-year-old can toddle in and turn it on. Wait till the instantaneous immediacy of television, possessed with filth, permeates this country and you'll see it rot. Every civilization that has ever existed has started the long road downward through an exaggerated emphasis upon sex. And this country will be no exception. And those of us who belong to Jesus Christ and who are filled with the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit, are to avoid like the plague all of this type of sin, sexual immorality, impurity of mind, sensuality. Avoid it, we are told. Read the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3 where we're told not even to speak evil words. We're to avoid them. And then there is that which has to do with old pagan sins, the worship of gods, dabbling with demons, witchcraft, Satanism. All of these things are on the move today. And the Holy Spirit is contending. He has his people at work and he is teaching us to avoid spiritism, demonism, Satanism, this sort of thing. The word here for witchcraft is the word from which pharmacology comes and it has to do with drugs. We're to avoid these because we belong to Jesus. And then look at what happens. And did the church ever face this anymore? Hatred, quarreling, jealousy. Think about it. The whole country so disrupted today in America, the church in Bedlam often, hatred, quarreling, jealousy. Look what happens in the home with bad temper, rivalry. Here we see these things. Party spirit. Then he talks of sins of the appetite, drunkenness, wild parties. He says those who belong to Jesus are to avoid these things. Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing, says the Lord. There is a demand of the Christian to live in a newness of life. And Paul's words here, led of the Spirit of God, are enormously severe. Those who practice the, such things, not those who may have committed an isolated instance of this, but those who practice such things, who live in the dominion of these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will forfeit their salvation, says Paul. Now then look what he says. The fruit of the Spirit. And I wish I had time to go with this. The fruit of the Spirit. Oh, how we need this. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. There's a song the little kids used to sing and they're bringing it back again now. 
It says, I got the love of Jesus down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. That may not be sophisticated, but boy, is it ever scriptural. And if you've got the love, you've got the joy, and if you've got the joy, you've got the peace. And they all come from God. It has to do with my relationship with God. Love, joy, and peace. You know, when I look at joy, you know who I think about almost automatically? Your kids all know him. I think about Zacchaeus. You remember that day that Jesus came under the tree and he looked up in the tree and he saw that little Jew up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And it says that he came down hastily and received him joyfully. What's wrong with a little joy in the church? If Jesus comes in your house, there'll be joy. Joy. And what a difference it made in Zacchaeus' life. What a difference it made. He restored things that he had taken wrongfully. He gave half his goods to the poor. What a remarkable conversion takes place. Love, joy, and peace. Peace has to do with that which God brings to me. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of the Lord. Every Sunday night I go through the mopes and my wonderful wife has to cheer me up. I mope about my sermon and I wish I'd said this and I wish I hadn't said that and I think about it and I worry about it and she keeps saying, commit it to the Lord, commit it to the Lord. Well, when I do commit it to the Lord, he does bring peace, but I have to learn to commit things to the Lord. I commit it to him, love, joy, and peace, not the absence of trouble, but the presence of the Lord. Then look at the other three. The other three have to do with long-suffering. I, I almost translated that word patience, but the more I live, long-suffering sounds more, more correct to me. <laughs> long-suffering. Oh, my. It means just what it says. The patience, the patience, the long-suffering that has to be like Jesus. Think how he is with us. My, I'm so glad that he is not as impatient as I am. But he is long-suffering with me. And he puts up with me. He forgives me a thousand times. And how I need to learn to forgive others. How I need to be filled with that. The next word is goodness. I love that word, goodness. Enid Massey and Charles Massey are part of our church and Enid's father is a remarkable preacher, very gifted preacher. Some of you heard him here. One of his favorite preachers and one of Dr. Billy Graham's favorite preachers was Dr. Henry Clay Morrison, a fine old Methodist who used to wear a black suit and a string, black string bow tie and had a gray shock of hair, and he preached all in this area. And uh, Dr. Henry Clay Morrison was at Asbury, Kentucky, and he taught the seminary students at Asbury Theological Seminary. And uh, Roy Gustafson, Enid's father, told me that on one occasion he heard Dr. Morrison lecturing to a group of preachers about goodness. And he told these preachers about his conversion. And do you know what he said? He said that when he was a boy, he was very, very poor. And he lived in North Georgia. And he had to plow on a farm every day all week. And he said that there was a wonderful preacher who lived in their community who kept trying to win him to God. And he said that on one occasion, 
on a Saturday, he was out following the mule, holding on to the plow handles, walking through the dirt in the plow rows and looking off at a distance and thinking that it wouldn't be long till he got off work and he was going to go get drunk. And he was going to go spend his time in revelry and gambling with a bunch of other sorry characters. And he said when he was thinking about that, he looked and at a distance, a quarter of a mile away, he saw a man in a black suit with a great big Bible under his arm coming toward him, coming toward him, coming toward him. And he recognized him as the old Methodist circuit preacher in that area who had prayed for him. And he said when he looked at that man and thought how good he was and how much he loved Jesus and how he lived for him, Dr. Morrison said, I was 16 years old, but I dropped down on my knees in the furrows and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ right there that day. And then he said to his preachers, now that's the kind of preacher you want to be. So good that you can convert a man a quarter of a mile away and never say a word to him. You live by goodness. Well, that's a great lesson, isn't it? And that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. Long-suffering. Goodness comes in there that we are to remember and how we need all of these. My, the fruits of the Spirit. This is the acid test. Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. By their fruits ye shall know them. Gentleness. Faith. Oh, my we need these. These has to do with our relationship with other people. The first three have to do with our relationship with God, love, joy, and peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness have to do with our relationship with other people. Faith, meekness, and temperance have to do with our own personal, disciplined life. Keep the faith. Be humble. Be temperate. You know what Paul goes on to say? They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts thereof. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. My, that's painful. Crucified. I know a lot of people who would be a Christian just like that if it didn't mean that they had to make some painful decisions. If it didn't mean that they had to be pitiless with their old evil desires. But crucifixion means a pitiless death, a painful death, a slow death. And he says that old nature has to be crucified. You've got to die to all that lust. You've got to die to all that ill temper. You've got to die to all that impatience. You've got to die to it. These are things that are necessary for us to remember. And as we die more and more to sin, we live more and more to Christ. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let us remember that if anyone is overtaken in a fault, those of us who are in a right relationship with God are to restore the meekness considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. And that we are to bear one another's burdens. Now my time is already gone. Let me close with a parable of Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish theologian. He used to tell a homely story about a preaching goose. Some preachers like this. He said that this preaching goose used to waddle out into the barnyard and all the other geese would gather around him 
And this preaching goose every Sunday would preach away. And he would tell them how their forebears used to spread their powerful wings and soar up into the sky and fly over vast expanses of, of space clear across the continent. He told them how they had that distinctive call and how they formed into a wedge and how they flew. And the geese would listen to what their forebears did. And they would nod their heads and they would clap their wings and they were all enthusiastic about it. And then when the speaking was over, the geese would all waddle back to where they would eat the corn that satisfied them and look at the fence that surrounded them because they felt secure there. Well, said Kierkegaard, there are a lot of people in the church who are like that. They look back on these people in the Bible, upon their spiritual ancestors and their great achievements, and they clap their wings and they nod their heads and they say how wonderful that they did it. But then they begin to think how secure their life is and they go right back into an old dull spiritual routine. Well, the work of the Holy Spirit is to quicken in us new desires to a deeper knowledge of Christ, a better understanding of Scripture, a more faithful witness to it, to recreate us in the image of Jesus Christ. Let us stand in prayer. Seal us, O Holy Spirit. Grant us thine impress, we pray. We would be more like the Master. O Father God, we pray that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shall reign supreme in our lives. Help us not to be like the geese who go back content with an old spiritual plane, but help us to go from this sanctuary with a desire to be turned on to the Holy Spirit, to be yielded to what He can do in our lives and hearts, so yielded that we shall produce in us the fruits of the Spirit, which will show that we belong to Him and which will show the honor and the love of Jesus to all about us and which will make us what we ought to be and our relationship to thee and our relationship to each other and in our faithfulness to our own souls. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the ministry of the Holy Spirit our greater teacher be and abide with each one of you both now and forevermore. Amen.